Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. This time, Bayern breeze past Barcelona in the Champs League. Real Madrid grind out three points against Inter, again in the League of Champs. And has Leon faced up to the reality of domestic abuse charges against one of its new signings? She start with Barcelona uh, versus Bayern Munich. Uh, Lars, are we watching the same Barcelona? Uh, what, you and me or the same Barcelona that we saw? Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's one in Ecuador, I think. We've been watching that one. They're not good at all compared to... <laughs> well, they probably have a, as good a defence as the one that uh, we're watching against uh, it, it was it was slightly surreal uh, watching Luke de Jong god bless him and Memphis Depay up front for Barcelona I mean five years ago you would have thought that's a that's a future Stoke City front two possibly <laughs> under sort of the the, the, the Mark in the Mark Hughes era <laughs> uh, but, but this is era. where we are no I'm sorry that's unfair on Memphis who has sort of kicked on and made himself a very useful player and I think he will actually be good and you know what like yeah I, I apologize we shouldn't be mean to Luke de Jong we shouldn't be mean to Stoke either no well maybe- we- Think, no, we shouldn't. On. We shouldn't be mean You're to Luke right. De Jong because he he is what he is, and it's not his fault that Barcelona just needed a striker with a pulse and 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 couldn't afford to bring in anyone. Uh, you know that that's the situation they're in. And I thought one of the remarkable things of, of this was the sort of reaction in the local media the next day, where it wasn't you know Coleman must go, or it wasn't sort of it was more sort of I think Mundo Deportivo's headline was you know it is what it is. There was a sort of a sad acceptance of, you know what? That was Gerard Piquet's quote, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yes. There was a sort yeah. of, but, but it was sort of echoed by, it seemed the vibe seemed to be, you know what, this is where we are right now. Which, uh, amidst all the sort of, um, all the sort of sadness over Barcelona, you know, sort of coming undone, I think at least that's good, that there's an acceptance that, you know, you can't just blame Coleman for this, you can't just blame a handful of players. There's no... A short, sharp thing you can do to suddenly fix this. I don't think you can change a manager, for instance, and suddenly make Barcelona great again. Yeah, that that banner that said Koeman out, I, that felt quite weird to me. There can't really be anyone out there who really believes that binning him will fix everyone, uh, everything. I mean, as as, as Lars said, uh, the the headline I like from sport was reality bath. Mm. 
baño de realidad and uh, the, <laughs> the best kind of bath <laughs> i think so as long as it's got the appropriate amount of salt mm -hmm. but i, I think this did <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think pk is interesting because pk will be there he will still be there in another form possibly a pre as president when things are better so spectral and he speak he speaks like a president now, yeah, he or, does. Or, oh, already, so and his he, quote is anticipating the future, is it? Yeah, he has more authority than the current president, Joan Laporta, who's in this situation where um, there's a really publicly difficult relationship with Kuman. And the thing is, if he goes ahead and sacks him, a he's got to get someone to replace him, and b it just makes him look a bit daft it, it is rearranging deck chairs on the on the titanic but you know i think the the world has already talked about barcelona and how they're struggling and we know they're not in great shape that doesn't necessarily mean and especially if you watched any of dinamo kiev versus benfica elsewhere in this group you'll know what i'm talking about that doesn't necessarily mean they can't get out of this group but i think we've got to focus on the best team in this group Bayern, because for a team that gave such an authoritative performance at one of the homes of European football, even if they're not in quite the best shape at the moment. Last, Bayern gave an impeccable performance. Yeah, they were fantastic. And it wasn't A2, but it was a spiritual A2, I thought. Was, I mean, they were in yeah. such complete control. And you got the sense that, you know, if 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 they were trying to overturn a, a four or five goal lead, they could have easily scored six or seven if they needed to air, if they need, if that was what was required of them. They were very, very comfortable. Um, I think they've gone a little bit under the radar this summer because I think it's the way that the news cycle worked and the way us in the media work and just the talking points tend to be dominated by the transfer sagas over the summer and you have the big sort of will Mbappe go to, to, to Real Madrid or won't he and oh look there's Messi at PSG and you know City's trying to get Harry Kane there hasn't really been that sort of massive saga around Bayern Munich so we haven't been talking about them that much this summer they've just kind of quietly added Upamarcano uh, they've added Sabitzer of course towards the end of the window gives them really good good for depth and of course Nagelsmann coming in, but they, have, they haven't really been part of these big soap operas. And and actually, I I think it's easy to think that that is a weakness, that that's a negative, that they haven't added the sort of really shiny, sparkly new toy. But, but I think if you're already one of the best teams in Europe, that can actually be a strength. And when they do add, they add before time. Mm. So even though it's a summer transfer, it doesn't feel like a summer transfer because it was done in in spring. And you know you have the arrival of Nagelsmann, and you talked about a Pumacano there who had a really great night, actually. Uh, and he had a difficult start. His, his opening game in the Bundesliga against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, he looked a bit shaky. He could easily have given away two penalties in, in the closing stages of that, and he got away with it. But this felt like authority. And I, I particularly liked, you know when you talk about teams, they get to a level of comfort in a game where they're enjoying themselves. And that might be, you know, a sombrero in some cases, you know, it, it, it might be, um, you know, a, a, an extra, extra little shot from distance or something like that. Upamecano, when it was 2-0 to Bayern, Memphis Depay turned him and he just got into his back and absolutely flattened him. And that was Upamecano <laughs> enjoying himself. That was a defender's <laughs> yes. way of enjoying yourself, I thought.
Yeah, Were you also enjoying yourself seeing someone give Memphis a bit of a? <laughs> although I thought, I thought no bad blood, no bad blood. And as good as Bayern are, as imperious as they are, there is still a question mark over Leroy Sane in that lineup. Even though I mean, he got full game, he got you know he was mm. out. He got a full run in this time. It wasn't like he was being brought on as a sub or anything like that. And he was influential because. He did. He did provide one of the goals, mm. uh, the first goal. But uh, he was taking pot shots, which, okay, a, go- a good goalkeeper managed to save. <clears> but you think, well, what, what are you do? He's still got that selfish streak about him. And like, you can't see where he fits in. Well, possibly. When Kingsley Coleman and Serge Gnabry both are fit, when uh, Jamal Musiala is taking a real claim for a spot somewhere in that team, you can see his place come under threat. But I think it is interesting that Julian Nagelsmann seems more committed to making Leroy Sané work for the team than Hansi Flick ever did, frankly. It did seem like Flick uh, wasn't convinced by him. He was in and out of the team a lot uh, and uh, and often played on the right, where I think he is slightly less comfortable than he is on the left, especially mm. when he plays on the right and he's got Pavard behind him because like, he likes to cut in. If you play Sané on the right, he's going to cut in a lot. Uh, and if you have a winger who's going to cut in a lot, you want a fullback to come on the overlap. Now, Pavard isn't going to do that a lot because he's kind of a little bit defensive-minded. So that the, the balance, he's a central defender. He is, basically, right he is yeah. basically a centre-half playing as a right-back. And I thought that mix on that right side never made sense to me last year, as good as Bayern were when, when Sané was there. Playing more on the left now, I think that makes more sense. And listen, there is a great player there. You're not wrong, Dalton, about how he maybe isn't always as committed off the ball as, as Bayern want their players to be and how he is a bit of a wild card. But that can be a positive, having someone who sort of breaks the pattern a little bit and, and does the unexpected things. And I think that's what Sané was at City. I think he's someone who seemed to frustrate Pep Guardiola quite a lot. But when you, when he left, you could really tell that they missed his ability to really to break the pattern a little bit. I mean, there's the sense as well, Lars, that Bayern have to make it work. Mm. Uh, that as, as you say, Nagelsmann's committed to Sane, but he's talked about uh, being kind to him rather than just you know, getting on his back when he makes mistakes because he was torn out very pu- publicly by Karl-Heinz Rummenigge <laughs> for not defending properly uh, last season, not defending as a, as a team player. It's like at some point we've got to work out how to get the best of this guy we've tried the stick so let's try the carrot I, I think is, is is his view of it but I think as well there is a, a, a financial consideration to this because as you pointed out before Lars he's earning a lot of money yeah. they, they won't be able to sell him easily if no. they want to sell. if they give up on him it will involve quite a big loss and so I think looking after him in that way is probably quite a sensible thing. And whereas Hansi Flick is very much a, a player's coach, he's never someone who concerned himself with the financial imperatives. And, you know, that's part of the reason for the huge friction that developed between him and Hassan Salihamidzic. But again, we you talked about Musiala there, another very influential game from Musiala. It was his shot that came off the post that led to Lewandowski's opening goal. And 
Musiala is just... You mean Levin Studsky's opening? (laughs) Deceptively difficult finish, because when you see it the first time, you think, oh yeah, he's tapped in one off the post. But you see the replay, yeah, he's done it with the studs, and there's no time to rearrange his feet or anything. It's really well done. It's it's almost as if he's a pretty good striker. Incredible reaction, because he's got a defender right next to him, and it's a rebound um, from another... Shot and he just moves faster. Yeah. He just, now, know. and I, I noticed that Thomas Muller, in um, anticipation of giving up his starting place, because he said last weekend um, after Bayern's game, well, Jamal Musiala can can have my place in a couple of years. He, mm. he, he's he's, he's going to take it mm. off me. And with, with his with his typical humour, I see he's lent the rest of his joke book to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think it needed to change hands. He's well, been overusing it in recent yeah. weeks. Well, I'm going to make good use of it. Just warning you <laughs> over the course of the next few months. But, but there's about Musiala, it's like, obviously they're different players and slightly different types of players. Yeah. But I think there's a comparison you can make with Jude Bellingham in the sense that he just looks ready. You know, sometimes you get young players who you can see there's a lot of talent there and their flashes are great. But, but he just looks like he, he should be playing every time now. He looks He's completely... a responsibility taker. Exactly isn't right. He? He, he feels like he should be running the game. So, how good then are Bayern this season? How good are they? They're one of the favourites for this. I, yeah, of I, 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 don't, I don't think there's any doubt. I, I think of the teams <laughs> that you saw in this opening week, I think we have to reserve. Judgment on Paris Saint-Germain, though, if Lars wants a word about that, I'm quite happy with that. Um, (laughs) Those are all the words I need, really. It's fine, we've done it now. I I think if you you look at the favourites from this this opening spell, Chelsea played within themselves a little bit. Again, we've got a reserve judgment. The teams who really laid down a, a marker in this opening week in very different ways, and we'll come to Real Madrid in a minute, I think are Real Madrid and and Bayern. They're the ones that really stood out for me. I think we can do, I mean, we can make it really simple and just look at the run through the sort of very quickly the, the favourites uh, with with the bookmakers to win the whole thing. I mean, I, I think currently Man City are sort of joint favourites with Paris Saint-Germain. And like, I'm not sold. Why, why are they both ahead of Chelsea? So, so I'm not sold on, I'm not fully sold on PSG yet because I don't think we'll get to it maybe, but I mean... In, in the long and proud tradition of me dropping truth bombs here yes. and the sort of <laughs> spend less than you earn, there's the thing with football. It's a team sport. <laughs> there we go. It's a team sport, guys. Which which does mean you, you can't, like, it isn't always possible to just throw as many fancy bits into it and immediately it works. I'm like slapping the microphone and all here. Although, uh, although, <laughs> Lars, when, you, when, you, when you say that, there are several ways of anticipating a universal truth like that. And if I was one of uh, Mbappe or especially Neymar or Messi, I might take football as a team sport as you do my defending for me. Yeah, but the problem is you've got three people thinking like that. And like under Herrera going, what? Do you want me to run how much? And, and score a goal? Yeah, basically. But so, so PSG and Man City joint favourites. I don't fully trust the PSG thing yet. Man City are enormously good, but you, sorry, you're never fully convinced Guardiola won't find some sort of bizarre lineup at the wrong time. And, you know, they have a history of imploding there. And, and then Bayern third favourite... Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Real Madrid. I, mean, I like Bayern the best out of those. I mean, that might be slightly, you know, reacting to events this week. I acknowledge that. Uh, but I'd like to think I would have said so if we had this conversation a week ago as well. And also Zabitzer coming on 
uh, as a substitute. I mean, it's an, an, it's an, an, annoying, it's an annoyingly clever signing to make. Because when we were looking at Bayern before the season, uh, well, how how can this go wrong for them? What could be their problem? The only thing I could really think of was okay, the defense is a bit inexperienced, might need a while to settle, and also the squad isn't that deep. A couple of injuries, and, and suddenly you're down to like some troop emoting in Mark Rocca and these sort of weirdos. Uh, but with with Marcel Sabitzer, you have a guy who can play in really any position in midfield. So it solves so many issues for them to have a guy that's like definitely good enough to play regularly for them and can play in so many places. And just in case your favourites for the Champions League don't make it all the way, Lash, um you always have a backup plan, don't you? An each-way bet on Paris Saint-Germain and Man City if they Ooh. met in the knockout stages. Yeah, the, the El Gasico. El Gasico. I've, I've not heard this one. <laughs> no, uh, it's I've, about I've, gas. Yeah, well, what is that? Something they ate? <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> El Gasico. <laughs> no, but who would you go for? Out of out of PSG and Man City. Yeah, Man City. Uh, I think they're uh, well, as but of right. PSG are the favourites now. As as <laughs> as of right now, at least we know that team is a functioning unit, and it's possible that PSG can become that, uh, but they're not yet. Agreed, City. Here's Thiago lifting another one in, and they're looking for more goals. And here's Coutinho, and he's got another one. This is ridiculous. It's eight. This it's is ridiculous, eight, and it's absolutely embarrassing. So let's move on to another. Uh, Champions League matchup this week and a tasty one as well. Real Madrid uh, versus Inter Milan. It was a proper dogfight, this one. Um, I think they're evenly matched. Would you not say that, Andy? You know what? On on the night, um, Inter should have won this. You reckon? I, I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we've, mm-hmm. we've got we've got a great message here from Kunle Ajao that says, how many more ways will Inter find to not win in the Champions League? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm down with that, Kunle, because especially in the first half, I thought they were terrific. Um, Simone Inzaghi, who has authored a better start to the season than many would have expected, particularly on the day that they sold Romelu Lukaku, having already got rid of Ashraf Hakimi. Um He's still got that midfield, which helps. But Edin Dzeko is a better than many would like to admit replacement for Lukaku. Missed his Certainly chances, short though. Missed his chances. He, he, he did. Uh, his all-round um, ability to keep the team functioning is very important. I mean, you could say Lautaro, who, who wants to be the main guy now and who seemingly has been convinced to stay and be the, 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 the main guy. He, he had his opportunities as well. And I think you're right to focus, Dotton, on... Jeco and especially and Lautaro has maybe missed a few more missing those chances because Thibaut Courtois had a good game. He didn't have a heaven sent. I have been touched by the hand of God game, um, and and that was the issue. They didn't make the most of their opportunities, and the longer it goes on, Real Madrid are Steelers. You know, you would not want to be playing them in family fortunes. And when it comes to the end of that game. There's just this growing inevitability that they're going to pull something from somewhere. It's it's really brilliantly set up by Eduardo Camavinga. Just a little reminder on the story of Eduardo Camavinga, who, um, 18 years old, made his debut for, for, for Rennes in France when he was barely 16. At 16, bossed it in defensive midfield against Paris Saint-Germain as a 16-year-old. And since then, 
has developed more into a box-to-box sort of mm. midfielder. Now, he had it tough last season because Wren qualified for the Champions League, which is part of the reason that he stayed. I mean, he's a player that's so highly rated that the previous president of Wren was fired by the ownership for negotiating a transfer <laughs> to Real Madrid, where he has actually <laughs> ended up. Um, at that point, they would have received a lot more money than him for him than they actually received because he only had a year left on his contract. So Real Madrid were able to get a bargain. But Camavinga suffered a little bit in his first year in the Champions League with that extra expectation. His game's still growing. If you have a few bad games when you're 17, it's not crime of the century. But I don't really think there was the environment to support him because they went on this spending spree after they did qualify for the, the Champions League in, in, in 2020. They suffered some quite demoralizing defeats in uh, the group stage. And Camavinga, if he didn't go to Real Madrid, would have spent a lot of this season sitting out for Ren. So you go from bench at best for Ren to bench, but making big contributions mm. for Real Madrid. Came on for his debut at the Bernabeu, um, the first time the Bernabeu had fans in it for 18 months. The first time Real Madrid played in it for 18 months against Celta last Sunday. They went 1-5-2. Six minutes after coming on, he scores a goal, following up from a shot by Luka Modric that was saved. And then he comes on and makes another massive impact here. Beautiful pass inside for Rodrigo to score, let's be fair, a totally undeserved winner. But... Camavinga has already given little hints of what he can do and why Real Madrid have wanted him for so long and how he can develop into a player that does more and more damage in the front end of the pitch, which is what makes him so exciting. But what I think is interesting, Lars, is the fact that we expect with Carlo Ancelotti Mm. that he's going to get the best and he's going to get a little bit more out of senior players. And to an extent, he's he's done that to quite good effect. Like Isco looks like a football player again. Mm. They've got something out of Gareth Bale until his recent injury. And, you know, these guys not being expensive deadweights is definitely an advantage yeah. to, to, to the club. But he's also getting a bit more out of Vinicius Junior. He's getting a huge contribution out of Rodrigo. And mm. he's getting something instantly out of Camavinga, who seems to have really warmed to him. Yeah, that's a huge positive because that has been one of the real issues with Zidane in, in, in the later years of his time at Real Madrid, as successful as he was. They had this sort of succession plan in the squad. They brought in a lot of really promising young players who were meant to take over for this core group who kept winning Champions Leagues under Zidane. Mm. But they never really kicked on. Valverde, perhaps, aside. Valverde, you know, yeah. is just undeniable. You know, just he's great. Uh, but a lot of these players were just never quite as, as good. And you always got the sense that Zidane didn't really trust them. Uh, whereas, you know, so far, so far, Ancelotti is, is having a very positive effect on, on Vinicius in particular, scoring goals and, and being, you know, marginally less frustrating. But, but I thought... There was some canny management here in this game from Ancelotti, I thought. And he spoke after the game about how he felt, you know, Inter pressed them really hard in the first half, but that they suffered a bit for that in the second half physically. Mm. And that Real Madrid then were able to, to snatch a goal and come a little bit into it towards the end. And it made me think of something that... Um, one of those uh, exciting books about Pep Guardiola uh, by Matti Pernau, there's a, there's a bit about how Guardiola was, was briefly sort of obsessed with chess and sort of the Norwegian chess prodigy, Magnus Carlsen. Because he had once said, 
uh, that he's not really worried, uh, Carlson, when he's playing chess, not really worried about what sacrifices he has to make in the early game because he knows he's going to get himself into a stronger position in the late game, and that's the thing that matters. And that's something Guardiola thought, ooh, this is very interesting. I must find a way of, of getting this into football somehow. And I think we tend to think of substitutions as... You know, you start with your best 11 and then if something goes wrong, you make a substitution. Like, But that doesn't have to be the way you look at it. You, you can plan a game out. And I thought, for instance, starting Lucas Vasquez as as a right wing here. Like, Lucas Vasquez isn't going to, you know, probably not going to win you the game with a great goal from right wing or something, but he's going to work. He's going to track back a lot. He's mm. going to work hard. And if you're expecting a sort of pressing blitz from Inter, he's, he's not a bad man to have on the wing there. Whereas then towards the second half, when you have an opponent that's maybe tiring a little bit, bring on Rodrigo for a bit of extra speed to, to exploit that. Uh, you know, eventually bring on Camavinga to have that energy and that burst forward from midfield, uh, which eventually, you know, those two combining for the goal. I thought it was canny stuff from Ancelotti. Yeah, whoever starts out, though, they are by definition your best 11, aren't they? Whoever starts out, they are your best 11 for that game. You you can't start out with anything but your best 11, can you? That That, that is true, but I, th- I think last point holds about the idea of the 11 isn't for the whole game. That you, that you can be... Yeah, yeah. You can have a plan to make changes as you go along, and not in the sense of this player's coming back from injury, so let's give him half an hour at the end or let's give him 20 minutes at the end. But the idea that it's a squad game and you've got to use those subs. And I I think coaches generally have to be better at adapting to that, don't they? Because five subs is here to stay and you would be mad not to adapt to that and and understand that this is something you can use to really pace your efforts over the game because football you can overuse it as well obviously you, you, you can but but, but the trick is that is the trick isn't it don't make it fragmented like a, an international friendly or whatever because five subs is that end of it and you know the, the idea that it's there for emergencies I think comes from that sort of thinking but I think to figure out that you know football is incredibly physical and fast and if you can use your subs right and five subs right, this can really, really help you. And really, it, it should be to the advantage of bigger clubs, shouldn't it? Yeah, well, so there are very, you know, to use a couple of examples, what you can do if you're playing, you can tell your fullbacks or your wingbacks, you know, I want you to bolt up and down for, for, for an hour. And if you start running out of steam, I'll sub you. It's fine. Don't worry about lasting the full 90 because I'm going to sub you when you tire. You can... Uh, have a forward, you know, when defenders are kind of used, as the game goes on, the defenders are is used to the movements and the patterns and the stuff that your centre forward does, change him up with 20 minutes to go. Even if he's not paying badly, just give the defender something else to, to worry about. And specifically in this case, if you have a guy like Vasquez, who, who is very dutiful, who does his job, you know, he's a, he's a very reliable squad player to have, you know he's going to help you a lot defensively. When the opponent starts tiring, put on a, some, someone who's a little bit more exciting going forward and, and gives them something to worry about that way. I mean, this is stuff that is easier to plan out, I guess, when you have five subs. I mean, this is going to sound like a party political broadcast for the AVB party. <laughs> but if, if we go You haven't back, had one of those for a while, so that's, that's good. <laughs> you've missed it. You know you've missed it. I, I, I think it's interesting that in his season at Chelsea that clearly had a lot that went wrong and didn't end up, end up well. And in the, his season at White Hart Lane. That's another story. That is another story. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, ladies and gentlemen, on, on the continent. I, I think the, the criticism that he received, and there are a lot of other things that make this almost push to the back of people's minds, for not starting Frank Lampard every game 
when he arrived at Chelsea. And this was seen as a, a huge political issue, not just a sporting one. He was getting the best out of Lampard, certainly for those first couple of months, by using him more sparingly. The trick is to sell it to the superstars, right? No, the trick is to sell it to perhaps the media, but certainly to the fans. Because if they don't understand your reasoning, they are justified to say, why aren't you playing him? And, and, and you don't get the response back. You don't get the explanation back or the satisfactory mm. explanation back in the way that you've given it. You never get that. And maybe it's because that gives a bit too much information away to the opponents you, as well. You're saying he needed a spokesman all along? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you I'm not pointing at myself. Much. I'm like not pointing at myself. too oh, much. Ten years too late. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got a tweet from Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong. What are the expectations for Ancelotti and his squad this season? I think they can make a stab at the title um, in La Liga. I think they'll be looking at the last four of the Champions League, and it's always a priority at Real Madrid. But I think the early signs that A, there are good vibes, which is quite important, and B, that he can get them in a place to grind results out. I think I'm still not sure when it comes to the very best when it comes to Bayern and Chelsea. But last four, anything can happen. And with regards to the league, you know, coming back to, to my favorite saying, you do not have to, to out, outrun the seal uh, to polar bears. You just have to outrun the other seals. Uh, <laughs> for, for, Real Ma- for Real Madrid, <laughs> I think the crucial point is Barcelona are a bit of a mess. And as much as I like their team on paper, Atleti aren't quite firing at the moment. That was that was, that was a pretty sketchy Champions League season debut against Porto. Yeah. Porto should have won that game. They, they really should have. And even domestically, like it's not quite you know clicking as well as I would have thought maybe it should have, even if the results have been fine. So, yeah, I think dom- domestically, I, I like them for the title. Well, we've got a question here, actually, um, on Twitter from Ali Darlow saying, Atletico have been pretty dreadful since the turn of the year. 36 points taken in the second half of La Liga last season. Well, that, that still would have gotten top four, but and only won two of last uh, CL games. I think that's two of last nine. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going wrong? I don't think it's been going that wrong because I think if you go back to when they won the title in 2013, 2014, it was similar to last season. They were mm. out of the traps super quickly. They won the first eight. They won 16, the first 18, I think, in, in, in that season. And then they couldn't quite keep up that pace in the second half of the season. So that's something that is common in, in, in Simeone teams. I do think, though, there is, there is an issue at Champions League level. As, as I was saying um, on the ramble earlier, I think because... Um, we think of uh, the Simeone era, which is now nearly a decade, of course. It's going to be a decade, a couple of days before Christmas. We think of it as one long team. And of course, the Simeone team that won the league in 2014 and got to the Champions League final in 2014 and 2016 is totally different to the team that is there now. It's different team, different characters, slightly different way of playing as well. This team still has to prove itself in the Champions League. They've not beaten anyone decent yet. And I think you look at them. I I was at the second game um, when they played Chelsea, when they were knocked out by Chelsea in the last 16. 
they were barely even second best. That mm. they were so far behind Chelsea in in that physically, tactically, in terms of guile, outlook, um, in every way, in terms of quality, they were so far behind them. Um, so it's going to take some work, and they need to build their Champions League rep all over again. Just very quickly on Real Madrid, uh, their priority then would be La Liga. Not Champions, Champions League. Really? Always yeah. Champions really? League for, for Real Madrid. For in this season as well? It's, it's what gives the club its name and its history. And that is made clear to every single player who work, walks into the Bernabeu dressing room. Ahí está Modri, que va a sacar el córner. Saca Modri. Arriba Thiago, remata Ramos. Gol. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There is one subject that we can't avoid but touch. It's a subject of domestic abuse in football. Andy, do you want to explain what's happened here? And this is to do with Lyon in France. Yeah, and and Jerome Boateng, who was trumpeted as a big signing for them at the end of the transfer window. And, um, of of course, he's been one of the best defenders in the world for a a, a very long time. come from Bayern Munich where he's out of contract at, at, at the end of last season and the club were excited to get him. Now, less than a week after signing, he had to return to Munich because he was in front of the Munich District Court um, on charges, domestic abuse charges, of attacking his former partner and mother of his, his, his 10-year-old twins. Um, it was found proven against him he was found, fined 1.8 million euros. Now, um, the prosecutor in the case um, has, has been considering whether to actually appeal the verdict because they wanted uh, 18 months suspended prison sentence for him as well. Um, Boateng's lawyer has said that um, he insists that um, it, 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 it's not the case that he didn't do it and... Um, he um, is considering an appeal against it, though we have no further news on that yet. What has concerned me so much is um, Leon's lack of response to it. Now, they were blindsided a bit because they didn't know the case against him was pending when he signed. Did they know anything about it? No. Ne- nevertheless, in- until he actually went to court, nevertheless... I feel their response could have been a lot stronger. They've 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 not made a public statement about it. Um, Peter Bosch, the coach, was asked about it in the run up to their game against Strasbourg uh, last weekend, and um, he said, "Well, it's his private life. I'm a football coach. I don't want to discuss it." Now, I'm not saying he should have to. That that was disappointing, though. He shouldn't have to outline the club's position on it. He's only the coach. I think you look at. Leon as a club 
And they are a club that has done an extraordinary amount to promote and innovate in the women's game. You, you look at their the sides that they've produced, arguably the, the best side in club football history in the women's game. Um, they've done everything to um, empower and promote the women's game. Jean-Michel Olas, the president, is always at the games and has been for the, the best part of a decade. Um, has always um, made them play their big games in the men's stadium, right back to when they were at um, Stade Gerland before they moved into the current Group Armour. Um, has paid to get the best women's players there. Um, you look at some of the, 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 the players who've played for them down the years, and you know, there have been cameos from the likes of Megan Rapino, um, Alex Morgan, um, but, but also I think you look at you know, players like they've seen it through the whole way, like uh, Camille Abelie, um Sonia Bonpastor, who was in that first Champions League winning side and is, is now the, the, the head coach of the team. And I just wonder how I would feel if I was one of those players who contributed so much to making this team the, 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 the name in, in, in women's club football, to say that here is a man who's been, who's, no one's denying he's a great player, but nevertheless, a man who has been found guilty of beating a woman. And this club, who's done so much to promote women's interest in football, has just not said anything about it. I just find that absolutely extraordinary and really, really problematic. It, it begs so many questions about football generally and where the sort of stances that football should take when it comes to their own constituents breaking the law but in particular in this way is there a wider issue in football and football culture that perhaps quote unquote condones or at least allows the acceptance um how how however uh light that acceptance is of this kind of behavior so, so what i think is that there's a problem in football not just with this, but with really all issues that we would refer to as issues of morality, in the fact that there's almost no uh, heed paid to any of it. Like it is a sort of results above everything type of business, and and there's almost no values at all. <laughs> I, I find, which is very frustrating. Uh, they're happy to talk about them when there's good PR to be had from talking about values, and but in the end, whatever. Uh, a player has been found to have done, there's almost no limit for what clubs will, will accept on, on someone's rap sheet for if, if they can strengthen them in a sporting capacity. And that, that that's extremely depressing to me. And what I think it... I don't want to put everything on, on the fans, but I do think the fans have got a big role to play here because I think as long as the fans support the club's actions and support the players in question... You, you can't really expect the clubs to to change. The clubs Fans are, can get stuff done, can't they? Exactly right, because the clubs are fully geared towards getting results. It's really the only thing they ever think about. And 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 part of what's driving that, I think, is they, they think that the fans will only accept results. I mean, people fear for their jobs when they don't win, and if they win, everything is fine. That, that, that That's kind of how it works. And and I think if fans can can make a real difference by, by having, making their voices heard and say, actually... 
whether it's your own boating or whether there's other people we could mention, I actually say what we, with what we know about this person and his behaviour, we don't want this at our club. That's something you can say. I think you're right. I think you're right. Although I think that the more influential aspect of this is the media, because we've seen uh, in the past where the media has had a role in football clubs having to cut ties with uh, footballers, certainly in terms of sexual assault. Well, the media can only shine light on things. The media can only yeah. say, this is what's happened. Uh, it's up to the no, people but, around it to react to that. That's the exact point. The media shines a light on what's socially acceptable and what's not socially acceptable. Increasingly, uh, domestic abuse is not socially acceptable. Once upon a time, you could argue, and not that far away, if we're talking 20, 30 years, you could argue it was socially acceptable. And like, and I know it's an old cliche, but I wonder whether in this respect that cliche applies to this, the cliche that, oh, football is just a microcos microcosm of the wider society, or whether actually it's different now because the wider society is becoming less and less tolerant or has become totally intolerant of domestic abuse, whereas football seems to be slightly behind that. Curve. But I, th I think as, as, as well, uh, the way that football clubs brand themselves and the way football clubs advertise themselves has is, 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 is got to have a huge influence on this because um, that idea of, I guess, more widely, corporate social responsibility being seen as a necessary thing, not just for the sake of doing good, but, but for your branding, if, if we're being brutally honest, you know, that is something that, as Lars was saying, if we're talking about wider society and other businesses, consumers demand, therefore it, be, it becomes an economic necessity to do that. And you look at the way that football clubs brand themselves, they realise the value of that. They realise the value of standing for something. So whether it's Barcelona being Mezcler and Club or... Or, or whatever they realise that 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 is super important. So I, I'm I'm not I'm not one of these people who thinks that you know football clubs or football players should do my parenting for me. Mm. I believe that parents should do parenting. <laughs> On the other hand, I think it is very difficult for children who, for example, who look at footballers. How do I explain to a child that this is what this player has done and this is why it's, 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 it's not acceptable. But, it's but, not but, but I have to. That, that is the reality yeah. of that. And I, I, I wouldn't duck that. But, but this is where my sort of, with regards to the clubs and what you just said, is where my, maybe I'm being too cynical. You say the clubs realise the value of, of standing for something. I think the clubs realise the value of being seen as standing for something. I think that's a really important definition. And I think that's I a huge distinction. I agree. My issue yeah. is, and so much of my experience working, you know, with at least one foot through the door in this sport and this industry, is that really very few people stand for anything and very few organisations stand for anything. And, and sporting considerations, financial considerations will go before absolutely anything. Uh, that, that, that is the trend. And I think the only thing the media can do something in, in pointing out some things that we think are not okay but in the end the only people I think who have real powers here are the fans and but again distressingly we see many many cases of the fans 
certainly also ignoring a lot of issues that you'd hope they wouldn't avoid ignore. So, so it is what it is. Do remember, you can tweet us at any time during the week. Uh, you can tweet at Football Ramble. You can tweet at Lars Severson. You can tweet at Andy Bressel or at Dotton Adebayo. So James has tweeted, will we see Bellingham, as in Jude, uh, turning out for a Premier League team next season, or will Dortmund employ a similar strategy to this summer, i.e. only one of the top stars will be allowed to leave, and that will be Haaland? I think he's hit the nail on the head there. I don't think they can get rid of them both in the, 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 the same summer. And I think it's difficult because Bellingham is a young Englishman who is just demanding to be seen. He's so good. He's so confident. Um, he's so strong. Everything about him suggests that England should be building around him for the next 10 years. I think he goes, has a great World Cup in 2022, and then they can sell him for whatever they like this, this the summer afterwards. So I think for Dortmund to hold him, beyond this season is good for them because they can make more money after he has a great World Cup. And it's good for him, actually, to be the leader for this team as, as he increasingly will be. Uh, this tweet from Graham Lash. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Europa Conference League? Will we see a competition dominated by big clubs who had poor domestic seasons and missed out on the Champions League? Or will we see a competition where clubs from less reputable nations uh, win a European trophy like the Football League trophy? I'm glad I liked, I got that question because I, I feel like I'm the person on this entire island who's the most positive about the Conference League <laughs> as a concept. Uh, and, and I want to explain why. Uh, yes, uh, Graham, I, I, I get the issue that you're raising, that you, you have in that competition a handful of clubs, um, Tottenham, for, for a very clear example, from the bigger leagues, who if you compare their budget to some of the teams they're going to come up against, it, it's ludicrous uh, that they're in the same competition. I understand that. But what this competition does do is that it gives uh, a lot of teams from like smaller leagues a chance to go on some sort of European adventure. You know, if you're a fan of a club from Finland, you know, you get a chance of playing uh, uh, playing teams from abroad, you know, teams from sort of, if you're, if you're a fan of a club from Slovakia, from from, from North Estonia, from Norway, even the Europa League group stage has become almost unattainable for you now. You know, it, it's very, very difficult to get in uh, because, again, the way football finance works if you're a half-decent player for one of these very, very small leagues, you're, you're off as soon as you show any kind of promise because of the financial disparage the differences. And, and for the fans and for the clubs who are kind of stuck being in these little countries and these little leagues, and there's not a lot like you can do about that, and unless you have a local strongman funding you in an unhealthy way, it's, it's almost impossible to build anything. You still want that feeling of, of going abroad or going to another city and, and watching your team or watching foreign teams come to visit you. So, so, so giving clubs from smaller countries a chance to experience that uh, I think is really good I think it's also a way of distributing funds around Europe a little bit um, we, we do criticise the Champions League and the current organisation of it because it favours the, the clubs who already have the most you know the way the TV money is distributed a lot of it ends up in the pockets of the clubs who are already very wealthy but in this sort of third tier competition 
as easy as it is to make fun of it, uh, you have a mechanism for UEFA to spread some of that cash uh, into leagues and to clubs that would other not otherwise not see it. So I think it's it's a it's a it's a positive. I think it's a big net positive for European football as a whole. It's that time when we ask you to recommend a game of the week each for us. Andy, do you fancy your game first? Yeah, Sunday night is going to be Valencia versus Real Madrid, which is a battle, believe it or not, of the top two in Spain. Uh, we were talking about Real Madrid earlier, of course. Valencia have started really well under Jose Bordalas. It's an incredible culture change. Sort of the king of anti-football taking over a team that's perennially been very erratic but very attractive. Um, they're going to be in for the long haul. We talked about um, Real Madrid grinding out results. Well, you know, this is where the grinder meets the Oh, Other easy. grinder. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sounded painful. It's, it's going to be like on 2K where you could play um, Memphis Grizzlies against all-time Memphis Grizzlies, I think. Try it if, if you want to. I might have to, to find out what that means. Um, <laughs> my, 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 <laughs> this is the basketball analogy is really very, very far yeah, away. This, this was a bit of a niche one. I apologise. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm, I'm going Juventus Milan just because currently Juventus are in an intriguing place. I mean, they are trying to sort of readjust to, to life after, Christi after Cristiano. Um, and, and I do think, as I've mentioned on this show before, I believe, I think in the long run, they might be better off. I mean, they might be a more complete team and it'll be everyone contributing rather than everyone getting the ball to Cristiano. But immediately now, when they're so used to playing to him, it, it's tricky for them. You know, they've had a couple of really iffy games and, and players are going to have to use, get used to taking more responsibility and you, you can't just like, get it to Cristiano and see what happens. And uh, so, so they've had a few iffy results in, in Serie A. And they can't have too many more, like draw against Udinese, lost to Empoli, lost to Napoli. Can't have too many more bad defeats uh, before things start looking a bit tricky with regards to winning the Scudetto. So they really need to start winning, playing a, an exciting and energetic and youthful AC Milan on uh, on Sunday night, I believe it is. That That's a big test for them. So I think that should be a really interesting game. We're going head-to-head -head with double screening, right? Yeah, of course. Always. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.